welcome everyone. We are passionate at Church Alive, helping people fulfill God's potential for their lives. And that means developing, building, coaching, inspiring leaders. And so I hope you'll have a leaning factor that today you can grow. Today you can take on a new mentality, a new mindset. And as you allow God to prune you, lift you, other people to inspire you, learn from you, you can become all that God has destined you to become. Well, welcome everyone. Welcome to our Church Alive service, a start, a kickoff of a brand new series we're calling Essential Agents of Reconciliation. And I want to read a passage of scripture to you at first, kind of let it be the backdrop of this series, 2 Corinthians 5. It's a bit of a unique time. I get the honor of being with my lovely bride. We have a special guest on, but let me read this scripture to you and then we're going to get into it. It's going to be uh, impacting, it's going to be a lot of fun, but I think it's really going to speak to the current situation in quite a unique, unique way. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 says this, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Verse 16 says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. And it goes on to say, And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. Let, me, let us uh, pray together as we get into it, put away distractions, put away things that would stop you getting the absolute most out of this moment. Jump on a chat if you're not already and uh, let's just dive in. Father, I thank you for these moments. I thank you for Goody Goodlow, our, our guest. I thank you for him. I thank you for his wife and his family. May you bless him exceedingly. Father, I pray for every person uh, watching right now, listening later right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, let the touch of heaven flow in this house right now. Let every TV, let every computer, Lord, let, let heaven come down, I pray. Let the love of God pierce every mind and every heart. Lord, let there be a drawing, let there be a healing, let there be an understanding, I pray. Let there be, uh, Lord, wisdom walking together with us through this life. Jesus, we give you the glory, we give you the praise in the name of your son. Amen and amen. 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 Hey, Church Alive, we are honored today to have a really special guest with us. We've got to know each other, Goody Goodlow, over the last little while and a little bit more recently. Man, we're honored, absolutely honored you're here. And um, he is, just to kind of give you that intro, church, he is from Compton, California, um, Marcus Goodlow, but nickname obviously Goody, PhD, travels around the country mentoring students, educators, business professionals, athletes, entertainers, faith communities on a range of issues including cultural, interpersonal relationships, leadership, team and synergy, character formation, Come and on. faith. Like, look at all of that. That's a business card right Woo! there, bro. Come That's on, good baby. stuff. And uh, written two books, actually. Kingmaker, applying Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s leadership lessons in working with athletes and entertainers, and also co-author of the book that I talked to you a little bit about, Habits, Six Steps to the Art of Influence. I'm in the process of writing a book. You've already written two books. Hats off to you, man. Uh, we're honoring you here. Yes. And, uh, and my, my thought um, 
is you need leadership in good times, but you, you really need leadership in yes. troubled times, in troubled times. And, and we're in a very interesting stage of America, but man, we're honored you're here. Tell us, tell us a tiny bit about yourself. Uh, this is the first time Church Alive is meeting you. Well, I'm honored to be with you and uh, Pastor Marion. Thank you so much, Pastor Anthony. It's a re really a great honor and heard so much about your church through you, our conversations we've had to meet up at uh, Wave Conf, a conference and of course our collective meetings over the last few years. And I bring you greetings uh, from uh, the South Bay, also known as the 90277, the 90278. And uh, uh, we're just so, so honored to be with you today. Uh, my wife, Lucy, I uh, wish she could be here. She's uh, actually out on a walk mentoring uh, women and impacting and influencing them. I have, we have two amazing uh, teens. Uh, we have, uh, or I call them young adults. Uh, we have a Hannah and we have a Josh. And so we got the Old Testament covered and uh, my Hannah is 18 <laughs> and my Josh is 16. My Hannah's graduating. And, um, and I was, I know we were just visiting earlier with you and Pastor Miriam about where your kids are in their stages of life. And uh, we're a little bit ahead of you in that respect. 22 years married. And originally, as you said, from South Central LA, a place called Compton. Not sure how many of your Church Alive folks uh, have heard of that city. But listen, everything you've heard about Compton, by the way, in the news and in the media, on television and, 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 and all the videos, uh, most of it is actually true. <laughs> That's right. There is a T-shirt called Straight Outta Compton, isn't there? That's right, straight out of Yeah, that's the, that's the famous one. Yeah, and so I told people I didn't have to buy the t-shirt because I lived it. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah, fair enough. Cool, awesome. Yeah. Well, obviously, Goody, we are having this conversation because we know our world is in trouble. And I don't think it's ever really been out of trouble. I don't yeah. think, um, you know, there's different times where things shout louder, but I think we all know that racism, racism has been an issue, um, an underlying issue, and at times a much, um, what's the word I want to use? A much Just an amplified, amplified issue. issue. Yeah. And right now we're in that season where our beautiful nation, but our grieving nation is seeking for answers. And I do believe there's a shift happening. I do believe that churches like never before are hearing the cries um, yeah. for that change. Yeah. And so while we can never, ever doubt that there is you know, racism yeah. as part of our experience, as part of our world, yeah. um, we'd love to hear from you a little bit um, of what your experiences have been and what you've gone through that many of us as white people perhaps have never had to go through. And uh, just so that other people perhaps who might not understand and may not see the, this truth, um, help us see it, right? Help us understand it. And I yeah. think that's what I'm loving um, right now. So many people are opening up these conversations so that yeah. we can be a bridge and so yeah. that we can hear and listen and understand a little bit. Yeah. Not that I ever think we could ever understand, yeah. but I feel desperate to understand. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit about that, those experiences and what it's been for you, a Christian, African-American, educated man who still perhaps experiences this, you know, even in recent times. No, I appreciate the question. Thank you, Pastor Miriam. I think uh, on so many levels, as you know, um, you know, I just uh, returned from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and we can talk a little bit more and more like that about that. But, uh, you know, so many emotions as a result of that trip and even prior to that, uh, growing up where I grew up in South Central L.A., but being afforded to live in various places over the course of my lifetime as a result of education and, and sports and those type of things. I've lived in 
Dallas and New Mexico. I've lived in San Francisco. I've lived in Kansas City, Kansas. And, and so I've had a number of different experiences within the church and just in everyday life where uh, people assumed the worst in me, not because of something I did or something I said, but because of how I appeared. You know, uh, I'm sitting in my office, home office, not too far from where I actually pick up my young teens every day when they were in school from the bus stop. And not even two years ago, I was on the bus stop waiting to pick them up on my phone and a young woman, I could see her approaching me uh, and her eyes and our eyes locked from a distance. And then I went back to my phone and I looked up and I saw her scurrying across the street. Didn't think anything of it uh, until she passed me and then continued on the same side of the street that I was standing on, but in back of me. You know, my, my immediate thought was that, that this woman avoided me. And, if, you know, maybe one even more specific, not too long after that same bus stop. And again, on my phone and a woman approached me and uh, she came up to me. She was walking her dog and she says, hello. And I, we greeted each other and she says, how are you today? And I really thought she was being friendly. And she says, uh, do you do you live around here? Uh no, she asked, can I help you? And which was a, kind of a strange question to ask somebody, you know, but I said, no, I'm good. She says, oh, uh, are you, do you live around here? And I'm still not getting it. And then at some point it clicked. And I think she must have sensed my sort of disdain for her inquiries. And she says, oh, no, no, I'm just asking because, you know, there've been a lot of people around here that, you know, we are just trying to look out for our neighborhood. You know, I own the house that I'm sitting in. I can see the water outside of my window and we've lived here for 10 years. And in both of those instances, just, just a small glimpse, just a small glimpse into the everyday life of what it looks like or what it feels like to be a person of color. Uh, you know, there's a book I'm reading called White Fragility. I highly would recommend it. In fact, at the conclusion of our time today, I'll send along a couple of references and resources, but it's written by Robin uh, D'Angelo, and she talks about this idea of what it's like to live in America as a white person and have access and privilege and never have to be in a room, never have to walk into a setting aware of your whiteness. You know, when I was in school, Miriam, there was a, I remember taking those tests. I don't know how it was for you, Pastor. I know you grew up in Australia, but you know, when you had um, those tests that would say, it would give you multiple choice, but it, or it would say something like, which one of these is not like the other? And you have to, you'd have to match, you have to look at it, look at it very closely. You know, as an African-American, it's always evident uh, which one of these is not like the other. And so to live in that everyday sort of context, everyday life, I've had... You know, even within the church, when we moved to Kansas City, Kansas, and serving a ministry there, we had people literally show up to vote for me not to come, not because I was African-American, but because I'm married, like you two are, interracially, at least in terms of culture. My wife is white, as you know, and this there was a group of people that got together and said, we, we don't think it's okay for people to, uh, to be married in this way. You know, my, <clears throat> my marriage to my wife, uh, caused a great deal of um, attention with some members of her family. Uh, regrettably, her father did not attend the wedding, did not bless the wedding, and told me to my face over a glass of wine sitting on his balcony in a very prestigious estate overlooking all of the Pacific Ocean. I think you're a good man, educated man, 
But you know, I just don't think, uh, I just don't think races should be mixing. I'm concerned about the future of your kids that you maybe will have. Uh, we're thankful that uh, at least, you know, we're, we've always been cordial. He acknowledges uh, our kids and they even call him grandpa, uh, you know. So, but those are some very specific instances uh, that for which I have experienced. And there are people in this, in the context in which you and I both minister, we minister and that we see in our everyday lives that have experienced far more greater than us, things than us in terms of uh, just a sort of searing impact for which uh, racism and prejudice. And let me be clear, racism is not an act. Racism is more than an instance. It's far more than that. It's systems, it's policies, it's procedures, it's a, a context. And so you can have somebody do something that is racist towards you and an offense or somebody who comes with a prejudice. We all have that, by the way, but it's when a person's perception or belief or understanding of you then is taken to another level and that in some way you are disenfranchised, you are in some way treated differently. And that is seen oftentimes in systems in procedures and policies. One of the things we talked about even yesterday with our chief of police here in Redondo Beach, as you know, I'm a chaplain for our police department. I work with police departments across the country on issues of uh, leadership, including culture and diversity. One of the things our chief was saying was, Goody, in part, aside from the horrific way in which Mr. George Floyd met his death on the pavement streets of Minneapolis, Minnesota, for all the world to see by a man who was charged to serve and protect him, what was even more horrifying, only maybe so, only second to that, was the idea that his colleagues stood by and watched. And he said, you can't get that without a culture, without a system, without an environment, without a, without a uh, ethos. Because here it is, the ethos there, the perception at least, is that it's, if you wanna get along, uh, you, you have to go along. And so you don't wanna do anything to appear to be, you know, coming in conflict with that system, with that environment. You know, businesses know this, you know this, Pastor Anthony, your background and some things you, I know you meet with business leaders, you hear the terms all the time. Uh, the culture, we need to set the right culture. You hear it in sports. We have a winning what? Culture. Where police departments have cultures. Businesses have cultures. And so sometimes uh, when we think of racism, we think of a particular instance, but sometimes, Mayor, it's more than that. It's, it's systems, it's policies, it's things that we're not doing. Passive racism. Passive prejudice. In other words, so it's not, it, it's not, it's not racism. I'm, I'm putting a, a burning cross in your front yard. I'm being very specific in terms of the criteria for the person I hire. I can, I can exclude certain people groups based upon such. So these are wider conversation, yet in their generality, they have very specific impacts and influences in various ways for people in everyday life. And I'm just one of millions of people who have experienced that. And so I think it's important that we understand that, but I appreciate that question. Yeah. No, that's really good. No, and really, really yeah. Really, even, you know, I can't, I can't, I'm just, yeah, you just feel so aggravated that that exists, right? And, and, and there's a holy discontent, right, yeah. that as Christians we should have so that we can be agents of change. And so hearing that makes me even more 
you know, having that holy discontent, having that passion, like, no, we have to continue, yeah. not just a one-time service, not just when things are blowing up, like, yeah. this has to be an ongoing conversation. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like habits, right? If you don't constantly do things, yeah. um, you don't change. And so yeah. if we're not constantly having these conversations, um, the next time we'll talk about it is the next time something pops up in the news yeah. again. Yeah. And wow, right. yeah. yeah, thank That's you for sharing point. that. No, I, I tell, you know, I just, yesterday, I just was visiting with a group of people, a group of staff members, and I just had my, uh, one of my dear friends uh, who helps to assist me in these things. I just, real quick, Pastor Anthony, uh, in, in, uh, tolerate me for a moment. Ahmad Aubrey, Bolton Sean, Attilia Jefferson, Brianna Taylor, Jonathan Farrell, Rashina McBride, Stephanie Clark, Jordan Edwards, Jordan Davis, Alton Sterling, Ayala Jones, Mike Brown, Tamir Rice, Charleston, Trayvon Martin, Sean Bell, Oscar Grant, Sandra Bland, Phileo Castillo, Corey Jones, John Crawford, Terrence Crutcher, Keith Scott, Glifford Clover, Claude Reese, Randy Evans, Yvonne Smallwood, Abdul Diala, Walter Scott, Eric Garner, Freddie Gray, Christopher Cooper, and George Floyd. Not only did all of these individuals meet their hands in what at the bare minimum were questionable deaths at the hands of people charged to protect and serve, none of the people who committed acts of violence against these individuals, I would dare say unjustly, none of them were convicted. None of these police officers were convicted for these deaths. And so George Floyd is one, unfortunately, uh, one person out of many within the African-American community uh, who have felt uh, this sting and pay the ultimate price for the atrocities, we believe, of what prejudice and racism and people who have uh, a less than, uh, uh, less than honoring and appreciation and respect for dignity and life for people, all people who are made in the Imago Dei, we're the only thing made in the image of God, yeah. you know? And so, uh, you know, I was reading where 93% of those police officers within Minneapolis do not live in the community in which they police. And so you say, Goody, why is that important? What does that have to do with our conversation? Well, if I shop in the same stores you do, not just police them, if I worship next to you, if I am a little league assistant coach to where your three kids happen to be in the same little league, if I'm running on the pathway in the park and you see, oh wow, that's Officer Goody, that's Officer Fleming. It's very difficult then to desensitize or come detach when you are in relationship with people, you know, uh, have a connection with people. Martin Luther King Jr. said, we fear each other because we don't know each other. We don't know each other because we don't spend enough time with each other. And could it be that oftentimes in the church, those of us who are followers of the teachers of Jesus, and even those who are just in everyday life, could it be these acts of fear we have is simply because we don't know each other. So, yeah, yeah, so good. You know, um, this in this essential series that we're kind of kicking off, one of the things that I've been leaning into as a pastor, I've been leaning into other people's conversations. And, um, and, and obviously one of the essentials of our faith is obviously the love of God and then it's the love of people. I mean, that is essential to what we do. It's, it's who we are. Jesus said, you shall know them by their love for one another. So 
what you're really saying and what I've been uh, trying to lean into is if you want to love more, you've actually just sometimes got to sit, got to listen, got to feel, right? Feel the pain sometimes of people, feel the moments that they feel like there's been um, injustice or dishonor or whatever, and it actually helps you love people more. So I kind of, I want our church to hear and understand that sometimes to love more, you have to sit, you have to listen, you can't flick by so quick on some quotes on some Instagram, change the channel real quick, because, you know, sometimes at night, like you're wanting some, some laughter, you know, on Netflix or something so you can relax in the day. And sometimes you don't want to watch anything like deep because you're like, wow, this is too deep right now. But sometimes you have to dive in and listen and learn and hear the truth and the reality of what's actually happening. Um, you actually flew out to Minneapolis, obviously just recently. And um, yeah, how, how are you as a Christian and a black man and someone who's been involved in this and study of Martin Luther King, how are you processing that? going out there and doing what you do. I mean, this is only a short amount of time since. Well, thank you for that. You know, like many Americans, I was watching on my couch. I was, I was on my, in my office and um, I think it was that Wednesday, Pastor, last Wednesday, last Wednesday, a Wednesday night uh, that I told my wife, I asked her to come in to my office and we were talking and I, you know, I just told her that I needed her support and I know that this would cause uh, a great deal of sort of consternation, inks, you know, just discomfort. Uh, we also live, uh, my mother-in-law lives with us. And so she's um, uh, in the category for which uh, many healthcare officials believe are most vulnerable, although we've come to learn that that's not necessarily the case. But she's obviously over 65. And so we've been really quarantined. You know, I haven't traveled much in terms of speaking and those type of things and uh, been doing a lot of my meetings by Zoom. But so that was that factor, traveling. And then uh, the issue of, of some of the unrest that was happening. So there were two issues at play, but I felt, I told her, I felt compelled to go. Uh, no one supported me otherwise in terms of, you know, I just said, this is, this is a non-budgeted item. <laughs> so... Uh, but uh, was in contact with a couple of colleagues and friend of mine, some sheroes and heroes of the faith who I work with. And one person in particular stepped up. I got to give her a shout out. April Diaz stepped up. First person said, Goody, what can we do to help? She's a white woman who's uh, married to uh, a Puerto Rican brother, but they have uh, two adopted African-American kids. And she says, I've already felt led to support your efforts. Tell me what you need. To, tell me what you're trying to do. And, uh, you know, boom, another family, uh, you know, stepped up. But I had already purchased the ticket. I was already committed to go. And, and really, I went, pastors, because I had to bear a prophetic witness uh, to, the, to this moment of great influx that is happening, not just in Minneapolis, but now we've come to learn in our nation. I had to bear witness to the fact that George, Floming, uh, George Floyd's death, uh, which took place on the streets of Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, was more than just tragic, was more than just unfortunate. You know, it's unfortunate if I spill this coffee on my shirt because I just took it out of the bag from the cleaners. That's unfortunate. It's unfortunate It's uh, uh, if, 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 if in some way maybe I dropped my glasses and chipped them. 
Uh, but we need, as you said, uh, Pastor Miriam, have a, 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 this sort of righteous indignation, this sort of holy discontent. But that frustration, that anger, that discontent took something more of me to literally get on a plane, risking COVID, and stand in that space. I got off a plane, put my, ho- my bags in the hotel. I wasn't in my hotel 10 minutes. I didn't even change my clothes. I went straight to the site where George Floyd took his last breath. Well, we watched a man die over nine minutes. Have you, have you done it? Well, I was, I was talking to a colleague of mine. I was thinking, what, what do I do? I, I can count on my hands. What do I do for nine minutes straight that would bring me discomfort? You mentioned watching Netflix. That's not discomfort. Running. I get joy out of running. Intimacy, whatever. We can keep it real, right? Well, what, what do I do for nine minutes that brings me discomfort? Couldn't even think, could, it, it couldn't even think of anything, let alone someone forcing me to experience that. And so while there, I'm processing so much. I see utter pain and people talk about buildings being burned. And I've met with people who lost everything. I was, at a, I was standing in a row where person building after building lost was from a minority a Haitian woman, Ethiopian. Uh, there was an African-American and, and a uh, man uh, and, a, and his wife was white, interracial couple. They lost their business, just person after person. I got up early Sunday morning, put on the put on the collar, pastor. Don't wear it often, only to marry and bury. But I, 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 felt, I felt Sunday morning, I wanted to literally bring a priestly presence. Now, you and I, we are all priests. God's given us that that gift has blessed us, has honored us to be allowed to lead his people. But I wanted to have the symbolic expression of that demonstratively demonstrated. So I'm walking the streets and Sunday morning, I got up and I said, pray day, work day. And I just walked the streets and uh, I saw a man trembling. He was standing in front of a structure that was burned out. Talk of the town cafe. You know, some of these stories we have re- recorded, by the way, we We've got, we've captured them on video, but this man I talked to had to be in his fifties and there he was grieving on behalf of the owners of that store who've had it for seven, that restaurant who've had it for seven years. It's been around for 40 plus. And this man was telling me that he remembers this place, eating at this place in his youth. And he said, I came here because I wanted to just try to come up with what I can do to help my friends who've lost everything, who will not be able to rebuild. Assurance won't cover all of their losses. And he said, our city is hurting. Uh, and I saw people who were hurting uh, in ways that are far beyond buildings being burned though, and structure and destruction of property. If we are more outraged at property being destroyed as opposed to lives feeling like they are not valued, then that to be quite frank is part of the problem. I don't condone violence and neither, I know you don't as well, but I don't condone police officers acting uh, uh, beyond their, the power and their authority for which they are charged. Uh, I don't believe that systems and from prosecutorial systems uh, to our overall judicial system, uh, ignoring uh, and acting in a way that brings uh, harm to people of color. And so this is a, this is an influx. This is a defining moment in our time. And so for me being on that ground, I knelt in the very place and spot and said a prayer where George Floyd took his life 
right before I got on the plane, I kid you not, I had a conversation with a colleague of mine. I've had the pleasure, like you pastors, of mentoring some people in ministry. And when I was on church at a staff in Dallas, Tony Evans Church, in fact, many years ago, 20 plus years ago, I was youth pastor for him. I had a guy who was under my wing. He accepted his call into ministry. You're about six or seven years apart. His name is Jonathan Veal. You don't know him. He's in Oklahoma. His wife, a pharmacist. Uh, and I saw a Facebook post. I'm packing my bags Thursday night, getting ready to go. 4 a.m. wake up call. I got to go. And I see a post. He's in, uh, he's in Oklahoma. And I, I see a post. He says, man, I'm missing my friend. And I said, it was on the trending. And I called him. I called him. It was 1130 Dallas time. And I said, hey, bro. And he says, Goody, when I was in the seventh grade, man, a six foot one brother walked in the room. He was the life of the room in the cafeteria. We became best of friends. We played basketball together, high school football together. He said, Goody, we lost no more than five games our entire time in high school. We went to the state championship. We lost. But this guy brought levity and encouragement. This guy, we grew up in the same housing project. And when a pastor, local pastor, wanted to do, put on a basketball tournament to make an opportunity for gang members to do something constructive and good just to kind of come along and stop the violence. This brother helped me put on that, helped the pastor put on that tournament. He said, he said, goody, this same guy, when that same pastor came in another time in that housing project to do a public baptism, want to do a baptism right there in the middle of the housing project, rode in a portable, had to put together a portable pool, big pool. This, my friend, he says, goody, helped put together the baptism of pool. He's telling me all this. His number is 88. He said, Goody, and my number is 42. And the numbers, aside from brother, is what we often will refer to each other in our texts. He said, Goody, I'm sending you text, man, how we were just texting in January. Haven't seen him in eight years, but he texted me to wish me happy birthday. This is George Floyd. I'm one person away, one person removed. I'm, there's 320 million people in the United States of America and I'm one person removed from being connected in a very intimate way with George Floyd. But in essence, we're all connected to George Floyd, aren't we? Yeah. Because the apostle Paul says in that verse, right? Second Corinthians chapter five, 17 through 20, you know, he's given us this ministry of reconciliation as though God himself were making his appeal through us. And we don't talk often about, but George Floyd was not only a human being, he was also a follower of the teachings of Jesus. He is a co-laborer, as Paul says. And he wasn't a perfect man. My buddy Jonathan Veal said that. And he said, goody, but this man, this man uh, did not deserve to meet his maker in that way on that day. And lastly, I, I, I was in Minneapolis preparing to leave when Terrence Floyd, his brother, came out to memorialize his brother, George Floyd. He came and it was, oh, it was just unspeakable pain watching it. He walked to that square, that storefront area, and people were yelling, take a knee. They wanted the surrounding people to take a knee, take a knee, you know, in honor. He took a knee, everyone took a knee, and, and he's kneeling and praying. And it dawned on me, real quick, Pastor, it dawned on me. Listen, he's mourning publicly. Not, not many of us have to do that, okay? So, you know, but 
We lose a, a cousin or a friend. Anthony, Pastor Anthony, I know you lost your father. Still praying for, I know that was difficult. So you, you, you're mourning publicly. You're grieving publicly. But how many of us have to grieve publicly the person we lost who was killed publicly for the world to see? And I thought in that moment, that's, that's, that, that, that was, that was a bit too much for me to just take even as a person who can only appreciate it from a distance. I realized that this is an unspeakable pain for which no human being should ever have to experience. And so being there, it was, it was a, a pilgrimage of sorts, but it also was a mission. It was, uh, it was a masa, a burden. I felt called to go. I felt that I needed to go. I have vested my life in great part to the work in bringing the good news, the euangelion, the gospel of Jesus to people who are hurting and broken, praying for the, the Floyd family, praying for those officers. And of course, for the cities across our country, not just Minneapolis that have uh, been impacted in adverse ways as a result of not only Floyd's death, but subsequent things that have happened. Whew. Felt like a lot to take in right there. Yeah. Wow. Whew. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Goody. That's uh, it just, even though we can't understand fully, it's so heavy. And I think it, yeah, I think even for me, because I want to understand, I, I, and I, I don't want to sympathize, I want to empathize, right? I want to, I just want to experience so that I can speak in a way that I sometimes feel like when we don't always understand things, it's so hard to explain it the way you're saying it. And so I just so thank you for your passion. I so thank you that um, through the love of Christ, you can bring about change and you can bring about truth. And I so thank you that you're willing to do that here for us and for our church. And so that's heavy to hear, but so important to hear. And, and that's the thing, as Anthony was saying, that we gotta stop just bypassing those, you know, those uncomfortable conversations and stop changing the channel. Like we have to be committed to understand, to know, to grow. And thank you, thank you for sharing that. Um. Yeah, Goody, um, just as action-oriented, I actually read one of your um, blogs, I guess, recently that you wrote, I think for Dallas Baptist University, and, and it was great content on there, but how do people, just bring real change. How do, how do they, you know, step up to that and be a part of that? What's the role of the church specifically, right? Yeah. What's the role of the yeah. church specifically? And, you know, those who are not African-American, like what, what's our role, right, in leading these communities of faith, you know? What would you say, what would you speak into that? Sure. Real quick, one, I think, uh, is what you're doing. It's picking up the phone reaching out, asking questions, listening. Doesn't require much effort, but it does require intentionality. Yeah. It's more than a text, it's a conversation. And so one of the ways we can start is by engaging. So we don't shrink back. I had someone who, a friend of mine, She's white, she is a administrator for a very significant conglomerate that brings a number of Christian schools together. She's basically the, the administrator that brings these Christian presidents together of universities. And she was in my class, I've taught her, uh, but she works for this entity. And she said, 
Dr. Goody, I'm just, I'm just listening and, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying anything right now. I'm just, you know, just, you know, and I said, hey, that's great. Need you to listen, but man, we need you to, we need you to do a little bit more than that. We need you to lean into this moment. And so listen, yes, Proverbs says flow to speak quick to listen, but at some point that that needs to turn into action. So one, I would say speak up, reach out, stretch out, engage. Uh, pick up the phone, invite, uh, and explore. Uh, and then two, self-examination. Uh, one famous uh, uh, sort of thought leader said, the longest journey we'll ever take is the journey inward. And so I want to challenge you. I want to challenge your, your listeners, those who are part of this great community of faith and those who are watching from uh, the greater area in which you guys are there in Jersey, New York. I want to challenge you to, to do some self-examination. Where am I? Where, where am I? You know, you know, Jesus tells a story of the priest and the Levi in a conversation with this young individual, this young Jewish person who asked, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story of how the priest and the Levi come across a man who was broken, bruised and battered. And they ask this question. If I stop to help this man, probably hmm, what will happen to me? Because we know from the text, they both pass on the opportunity to engage, an opportunity to step up, an opportunity to be stretched, to risk. But the Samaritan came along and reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Wow. And so as leaders, as, 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 as people who are, are not African-American, ask yourself, you know, what, 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 what am I doing? Am I the priest or the Levite or am I the Samaritan? And then one third one pastor would be, pastors would be, um, you should risk. I often say the bigness of this moment is not bigger than our God. And because we are king's kids, we stand in that bigness. This is a big moment in Christendom and we dare not shrink back. And so I'm challenging Church Live. I'm challenging Pastors Fleming. I'm challenging you to risk. Risk in your hiring. Risk in your budget discretions. Risk in your leadership team. I'm challenging business leaders. Where, where are your resources going? Who's on your executive team? Who's helping making decisions at the, at the highest of levels? That matters because we all have blind spots. We all have areas in our lives where we lack sensitivity, lack, we lack understanding. And it's not because we're bad people. It's just because we don't have that experience. And so if I don't have people from specific expressions and backgrounds of life, I'm at a deficit. You know, I often tell, I tell leaders, particularly leaders in, in faith context, you should do no less than even what businesses, sports teams recognize they need to do. I had a pastor tell me yesterday, oh, Pastor Eric Bryan from Gateway of South Austin. I did a big deal with all, their, all their, their people yesterday all over the Metroplex and throughout the country for that matter. He says, Goody, yeah, I have the Rooney Rule in hiring. I was like, that's great. Rooney Rue is named after Art Rooney, former, well, he's now deceased, but Pittsburgh Steelers. 
And basically this rule is established by the NFL, which basically says you can't hire a head coach as an owner if you are not reviewing as part of the candidacy people of color. And so the next person you hire, the next person you promote, the next sermon series you do, the next person you have to speak, the next person you have to lead from your stage and worship to the design of your website, does it express not just diversity, but the experiences of people, not just whose stories have been great in America, the old adage is, so at what, at what period of time did we go back as African-Americans in America where our time was great? Go ahead, I'll wait. Was it, in, was it in slavery? Was it in Jim Crow? Was it in uh, separate and unequal? Was it during the rise of LA, the rise of 67, the rise of 2020? And so that's not been our experience where one of Romantis, uh, you know, sort of this romantic era and period in time. So that has not been the experience of a lot of African-Americans. And so I think doing those things specifically, listen, risk, you know, do self-inventory are all practical things you can do, not tomorrow, but today. Like go today, do that. Yeah. Uh, those are some practical steps we can take, you can take to help move. And I think the role doesn't have a, the church doesn't have a role to play the church has the role to play. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Front and center. Yeah. That's really good. Oh, thank you, Goody. Goody, yeah, yeah. thanks so much for your time. That was really awesome. Yeah, uh, it really it? was. Yeah. Thank you so much uh, just for taking your time and um, just speaking to us and helping us uh, get a greater, a greater grasp yeah. of reality. Yeah, thank you. And say hi to Lucy for us. I will do yes. that. Yes, and uh, you guys stay safe from COVID. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think it's getting safer out there. But, I uh, got my... I there live you go. with these right here. There you go, sanitizers. <laughs> We're going to start baptizing people and sanitizers soon, There I think. you go. <laughs> uh, yeah. Thanks again, Goody. Hey, you have a great day. We love you. Praying Bless for you. you guys and yeah. just believing better days are ahead for all of us. In Jesus' thank name. You. Onward, Church Alive, onward. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, God bless you. See Thanks, you buddy. soon. Thanks bye so bye. Much. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation we had with our good friend Goody. Um, I know this conversation was a heavy one um, for all of us to hear, but an important message for all of us to understand. And so, as you know, the title of this series is Essential but are you an agent of reconciliation? We know that Jesus is the greatest agent of reconciliation, and that is the mandate on our life, to, to be a bridge, right? To be the love, right, that we receive from Christ to others. And so one of the things that Goody said at the very end there, he said how we can as a church, how we can as sons and daughters be the change, right? How we, what is our role, right? What is the, the role of the body of Christ? He, he said a few different things, right? And the last two things he said was to examine yourself and also take risks. And I thought that was so brilliant. And a couple of questions I want to ask all of us and questions I've had to ask myself in these last few days, in these last few weeks. And, and that was like, God, have I missed something? Have I missed something in my own thinking? Have I missed something that perhaps I never even realized was an issue in my own heart? 
examine yourself. I had to examine myself. I had to say, God, would you search my heart? And maybe that's a prayer and that's something that you can say in this very moment. God, would you search my heart? Is there anything in my heart that would make me not be this bridge, that would make me not be this agent of reconciliation? And as you allow the Holy Spirit to shed light on your heart, to shed light on that truth, and, and this is not an accusation, I'm not trying to say that any of us are those things, but I've always found that when I go to the Holy Spirit and I say, where can I love more? He always points me how I can love better, how I can be more like Christ. And so those are one of the questions that you can ask the Holy Spirit in this moment. How can I love like you love? How can I see people through the lens of what you see them? Have I missed something? Is there something inside of me that needs to shift today so that as I love people, I become more like you? Another question is, have I thought a certain way and have I actually decided to change that thought? Maybe today, instead of just thinking about it, today you can put that into action. What can I do? What is my role? What is my part to play? That's a risky thing and uncomfortable at times. But that's what I love about the Christian journey. It's not just a free ride and it's gonna be great. No, we go through the wildernesses sometimes. We go through different experiences sometimes that are not easy, that can be uncomfortable. But what I love about the Word of God, it says that He creates pathways in the wilderness to refresh us. And so that's my encouragement to all of us after we just heard this conversation. I pray that you would take a moment right now, wherever you are, and say, God, would you search me? Would you ex help me examine my heart? Would you bring to the surface the very things that perhaps are hidden in me that I didn't know were an issue and help me deal with it? I repent from it. I want to be a change agent. I want to be an agent of reconciliation. You know, Jesus Christ, he is the ultimate agent of reconciliation. And we've said that quite a few times in this conversation. And he wants to reconcile every heart back to the heart of God. And if you don't know Christ right now, if you have not received the full forgiveness of sin, if you have not entered into this amazing relationship with Christ, I want to invite you right now, wherever you may be, sitting in your living room, in your car, whatever and wherever you are in life, Jesus invites you into a relationship with him for transformation. He wants to transform you from the inside out. And our response to that is just basically, yes, Father, I want to be in relationship with you. Would you forgive my sins? So right now, if you would take a moment with me, you can bow your head, close your eyes, or you can just watch me as we pray together. If you want to invite Christ into your heart, this is a prayer, a simple prayer, but a profound one that can, can that start, sorry, that can get you on that journey of following Jesus. So you can repeat after me. Father, I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, as the agent of reconciliation to all mankind. Today I recognize my need of a savior. Forgive my sins. Today I trust in you. Today I place my hope in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
Well, God bless you guys. We'll see you back next week. Have a wonderful week.